All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, a podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down to earth way possible. Still part of Perry Veritas Network. Uh, hi. <laughs> it's um, it's been a while. I know. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Um, not that it matters. I don't actually have any listeners, <laughs> so I'm not. It's not like. It's not like there's like, you know, uh, even hundreds of people out there like going, what, whatever happened to sunshine and brain? Is it never, is it never coming back on again? (laughs) That's, that's happening. So, you know, like, it's like, like, you know, as I sit here and talk, they say you're supposed to like pick out one person to talk to and when you're talking or whatever and. Uh, that's so, I don't, you know, that I, 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 maybe there's one listener and it's so hi, it's you. You're the one I'm talking to. <laughs> you're the, you're the one I'm talking to. So for you, I, uh, yeah, it's been a minute. I, I haven't done this in a, in a long time. And, uh, I've got a number of reasons as to why and what's going on. It's interesting. I, I mean, like even in the, the very last episode, you know, I'm talking about, committing to the idea of trying to get out an episode a week. And, uh, you know, then, uh, um, then at some point, I think the very last episode, I was like, I don't need to do an episode a week. You know, I'm going to try to do an episode a week, but I don't like need to do an episode a week. And, uh, you know, and then that was like, what was that? Three months ago. Uh, It was a good time. I mean, it was May. It was like early May. It wasn't even late May. It was early May was the last time I recorded an episode and and put it up, which isn't to say that I haven't actually recorded anything. As a matter of fact, I have three unedited still episodes that Andre and I did a number of months ago about leadership. They were actually pretty good conversations. I just haven't like even tried to edit it yet at this point. Um, and I have another episode that I tried to record, but the audio was crap because it was an episode that I tried to record in person. And, uh, because of that, I, you know, it just, there was like a echo cause I don't have like fancy microphones to make sure that like none, none of that stuff happens. I just have a computer and a earphones and a, a microphone and a wire basically. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that episode is not, you can't, there's nothing that can be done with that episode, but uh, in any case, um, you know, it's not like I haven't done any recording. It's just, I just haven't been in the mood to fucking record an episode. So y'all can suck it. <laughs> I, I've been distracted. I, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a handful of reasons as to why I haven't like, you know, taken the time to record episodes and put them up. Um, there's a whole mess of reasons. Uh, some, some of them really good reasons. Some of them maybe, I don't know, I don't know if you define them as bad reasons or not, I don't know if you define them as good reasons, but, but reasons, you know, um, I, the good reason, which is, I guess the big piece of news, which I'm totally cool talking about in this space is that, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm in like a really good, you know, what's now a, lo- a long-term relationship, <laughs> relationship. I had a number of episodes ago, I, you know, I, I kind of talked about being, a, a, you know, trying to date, doing online dating and kind of had the jokes about that. And also, you know, some kind of maybe stories here and there, self-growth stories and all that stuff. Um, one episode followed up by parts of the next couple episodes are, you know, really about a relationship loss that I experienced a number of months ago. Um, just about a coming up on a year ago here in a little bit. And, uh, you know, um, so I've certainly done that stuff, but I haven't like, you know, always shared what's going on. It's certainly not specifics in terms of what's going on, but, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm in a really good long-term relationship. It's seven months now. It's totally rad, uh, beautiful, amazing woman, uh, you know, who I, I think wouldn't mind me sharing that her name is Denise. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a relationship that's going incredibly well. And, and, uh, we kind of happen to be at that stage of a relationship where, you know, I mean, it's like I'm a single dad and I've got my kids half the time. So when I have my kids, I'm with my kids. And when I don't have my kids, I'm 
with Denise, man. Like I'm hanging out with my girl. Like that's, <laughs> that's what's going on. So push comes to shove, but like boiled down, like the main reason why, you know, I haven't recorded an episode. It's because, uh, yeah, I've been hanging, been hanging out with my girl, man. Like that's, uh, that's what's been happening. So that's a, that's a big part of it. But, you know, also it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's the stage of a relationship where, you know, you're, you're sort of like so into each other that you kind of want to spend a lot of time with each other, but you haven't necessarily fully worked out your, you know, me time schedule, <laughs> Um, which is, uh, one thing if you're, you know, not a kind of single, uh, parent with kids at home and, um, you know, I guess you're with your, when you're in a relationship with someone like me where I do have kids at home still and, uh, will have kids at home for a number of years still, it's the kind of deal where it's like when I have them, uh, you know, then I'm with them and I'm being a parent and all that stuff. And, and, uh, that's the time for, you know, Denise to get out and do her stuff and, you know, take care of her stuff. But like, for me, it's like, oh, I'm either with my kids. And when I'm with my kids, I don't record episodes, um, mainly because I live in a small apartment and I don't want to sit here recording an episode, like worried about them, you know, hearing what I'm saying. Uh, my kids are old enough for me to go like sit in my car, for example, and like use it as a sound booth and record an episode. So I have kind of toyed with that idea. Yeah, I just haven't done it yet because to be honest, like, you know, it's like I'm sitting here and I'm doing this podcast where the purpose is to sort of be vulnerable, right? To like bear my soul. And I, when I record a podcast, I certainly close the windows in my apartment and often even close the shades. So I really feel like I'm in here in private conversation and uh, to just sit in my sit in my car and record an episode feels weird. You know what I mean? Like, could I really be as vulnerable as I want to be. And I, you know, can't afford a sound booth. At least I don't think I could. Maybe I should get a sound booth. That'd be ridiculous. But anyway, so like, I don't have a sound booth. So I, I, you know, don't have a way to record without my kids hearing while they're with me. And, uh, when they're not with me, I'm hanging with my girl, man. So, you know, I just haven't taken the time to sit down and record an episode. The other piece is, to be honest, it's like, it's hard to resist the thought that this project or that anything that someone might be doing is, you know, narcissistic to an extent. And, you know, I, I uh, don't want to be a narcissist. Who the fuck wants to be a narcissist? You know, and uh, not that I worry. I mean, I do on occasion ask myself, am I a narcissist? I do on occasion ask myself that question. But ultimately, I know I'm not because nobody with depression is a narcissist. You might, you know, it's okay to have a healthy sense of self-pride. Like, that's okay. It's definitely a good thing to have a healthy sense of self-pride. But uh, I, I know I'm not a narcissist. But it does feel narcissistic sitting and recording my voice and putting it on Spotify. I mean, it just feels narcissistic. And and you know, what am I doing? I'm talking about like what I want to talk about. And so, yeah, it feels there's, there, are, it's hard to escape the thought. Well, like, is it like a narcissistic thing? And it's not one of those things where I can sit here and be like, no, it's mission driven. I have, you know, even hundreds of listeners who are relying on this podcast to help them through, you know, if I had something like that, I think I'd probably, you know, make the time to, to record every week because I would feel a sense of purpose. I also maybe might talk about things a little differently too. You know, uh, yeah, I might, I might not, I might not be as honest. I might even think about being more inspirational and I don't actually, I didn't want this podcast to be like traditionally inspirational, at least like, I don't know, this is, this is not supposed to be like a how to, and I think I've done a good job staying away from that, but the, you know, but because like the purpose of the thing is to sit here and say like, yeah, I've, I've got anxieties about stuff. I, I have depressive thoughts. I have, you know, thoughts of self-harm and, and things along those lines that I think about and deal with. It's like, that's why I was like sitting here and doing it. Um, but I also know that like no one's listening. So, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't, the only purpose I would have to do it is because it's like good for me to sit here and, and talk, right? Like that would be like, the purpose for me to do it. But, you know, it's like, I, I already have therapy, you know, 
I don't know. It does feel good to do it. I'm I'm enjoying doing it right now. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. The other pieces, and I haven't talked about it on here so much, but like, you know, Eric has been thinking about closing up Perry Veritas. And, uh, you know, to be honest, like for me, some of the podcast motivation was an opportunity to like, you know, chill and hang with Eric and all that stuff. And it just hasn't been, you know, I think the, I just, it just hasn't gone the way that, you know, I think that he was like hoping or thinking that it would go. Um, and, uh, you know, I, if he wants to, I'd, obviously I'd let him want to talk about his thoughts about Perry Veritas and what it was and where it is. So maybe, maybe, maybe Eric would be willing to come on for, for an episode and that'll be motivation to record the next episode. But you know, he's, he's definitely thinking about closing up Perry Veritas. And so, you know, if I'm going to continue, it'd be, it'd be for a slightly different motivation, right? It wouldn't be as much for, you know, here's the thing that I'm doing with like my bud. It'd be more, you know, here's the thing that I'm just sort of doing for me, you know, and and I, I can decide if I want to try to push it and get a listening core, you know, I, I can decide if I want to do that. Um, but I, you know, haven't done it yet. <laughs> and I don't really know. I've got plenty of shit on my plate. I don't really know that I have the time to like become a self promoter or the inclination or, you know, personal type of personality become a type of self promoter or whatever, but maybe I will. I don't know. Maybe I will. You don't know. You never know. But, uh, in any, in any case, the point is, is that, you know, this might be the last episode I ever record. You know, that's definitely a possibility. I'm sitting here recording it now. It might have been that I never sat down and recorded an episode, but I felt some motivation to record an episode today because I kind of had a minute. You know, I don't have my kids and Denise is off uh, doing something and isn't coming till later. So I had a minute to sit and record. And, uh, you know, there's been... Uh, Simon Biles, Simone Biles in the news. And so I, I thought maybe it'd be good to kind of interesting to sort of talk out loud about that for a bit. So I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, so I had some motivation to down some recording an episode and it feels good to be doing it. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what that means. But I'm not, I don't feel any kind of like personal pressure to keep this up or to end it in any way. I think I'll just follow my heart and kind of let it percolate, you know, and so it's, it's kind of funny, but if, even when I was a kid, I had this inclination that that was like how decision-making works for me, you know, where so, like sometimes I'm able to like in a moment really reason through and figure out the right path and make a decision. But there are other things that I kind of just have to let percolate, you know, which is to say like, you know, it's a thought I'll have in my head. I'll just keep it in my head Every now and then I'll bounce it around, kind of, you know, see if I have any new angles, new ideas about it. Um, usually not, but maybe I do, you know, and if it resolves it, then I can pop that sucker out and not worry about it. But if it doesn't, then it kind of goes back in and sort of keeps percolating, you know. Yeah, it's kind of how, like, tattoos work for me. Uh, I've got, like, 11 now, and I'm planning on growing, and I, I had this idea for what I wanted for my next tattoos and I was playing with this one kind of thematic concept where I wanted to it's like I'm I was born in Missouri but I'm really from New York although there are certain midwestern aspects of my personality most of my formative years I grew up in New York and so I'm I, you know I, I feel like a New Yorker I, I you know New York is home to me in my mind you know I'm I'm comfortable in that space and that culture and mindset and everything. And, but now I'm, I live in San Diego, I'm a Southern California. And I've been here for, um, coming up on a decade now and love it here. And like, we'll never leave. And I'm very much a San Diegan. And so now like when I go to New York, you know, like I feel like a Southern Californian, you know, it doesn't matter what time of year I go there. I've always got color on my skin. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, it's like uh, Californians have a way of Californians have a way of like Californians have a way of just sort of smiling a lot. You know, Californians kind of kind of smile when they when they talk. If you ever come to California, you sort of notice Californians have a way of sort of smiling when they when they talk. And I think it's because of all the sunshine 
you know, it maybe rains 15, 20 days a year, most years here. It's why there's always droughts and wildfires and awful shit like that. But it's like sunny all the time here in SoCal. And, and San Diego is actually a lot cooler weather-wise than L.A., even though we're south of L.A. Because we've got this uh, pretty nice, um, what they call a marine layer of weather that comes in from off the Pacific and keeps San Diego nice and cool. So the hottest it ever really gets here is like 90, you know, 90, 93, 94, something like that. But if it's like 90 by me, then North and like the Valley up in LA, it's probably like 115, 120, <laughs> something like that. So, so San Diego's a, uh, pretty special along those lines. So I feel like a San Diegan when I go to New York because I've got this like easy breezy, you know, affect now that didn't exist before just from living here for almost for almost 10 years. And yet here in San Diego, I fucking feel like a New Yorker because like you take the boy out of New York, but you can't take certain aspects of New York about the boy out of the boy, you know? <laughs> like I definitely oh man. Uh yeah. It's funny. There are certain things that like San Diegans would never think about doing that for me. It's just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. You know, like honking your horn at the traffic light, for example, that's like culturally a thing out here that you just don't do. Like, it doesn't matter, man. If the person in front of the line is looking at their phone and the light turns green and they're not looking up to notice that the light's green and like a whole cycle goes by and they miss the fact the light turns green. No one's, no one's honking. There's not, there's not going to be a honk. You're just going to sit there and the people behind you are going to be annoyed. They're probably going to be looking at you all pissed off, but they're not going to honk their horns. Whereas for me, like I'm a New Yorker, it's like, it's just, it's not, you don't even honk out of anger. It's, it's just more of a communication thing. You know, you're like you're sitting there at the light, the light turns green. And in my mind, it's like, okay, then the metronome starts, you know, and it's like green, beat, beat, honk. That's what I, that's what I honk. That's a New York thing. You know, that's like, oh, they for sure don't know the light turns green. I'm going to help them out. And it's not like a loud, like, you know, not like a, like a long honk. I'm not like, like I'm not sitting on the horn (laughs) for like 10, 15 seconds till they wake up. Not yelling out my window. It's just a little beep beep, you know. Hey, buddy, lights lights green. You know, we're all we all got somewhere to be, and then uh, that's it. It's a very friendly, it's a very friendly honk, you know. But but <laughs> Sandy Higgins aren't used to it. So when I give it, it's 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 often met by like a peel out, you know, like they go fuck, you know, and they start like driving really fast because like clearly I'm sitting in a car with like a pregnant lady, you know, who's like in labor. There's like the water broke in the car, you know. And we got to get to the hospital, man. That's why that would be the only reason why I would honk my horn in that scenario. <laughs> as far as the San Diego is concerned, and then they see it's just me, you know. Then they, then they, then they're like, "Oh, what a dick!" <laughs> but I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't sit with me even at all. Nope, doesn't sit with me even at all. I just, I just continue with my day. You know why? Because I'm a New Yorker, and I don't even think twice about it. <laughs> so so this is like a daily occurrence for me basically but that sort of that sort of thing so i still feel like a new yorker while i'm here but when i go back to new york it's not uh it's not it's not there anymore i don't have the i don't have the same edge they they take edge to the next to the next level man there's there's corners to their frowns in new york it's different it's a different it's a different frown so uh, anyway, I don't even know what got me on. Uh, I don't know what got me on that topic. I have no idea how I got to that point. Uh, I was going to talk about Simone Biles, so I thought maybe let's just jump on that here for a second. Maybe I'll remember how I got into the whole uh, New York, Southern California thing. So yeah, if you're listening to this in this uh, particular moment in history, coming to the end of the uh, COVID Olympics. Uh, the 2021 because of COVID Olympics in Tokyo, which are um, aside from the Olympics in Nazi fucking Germany, Berlin in 1930, whatever. Uh, this is the COVID Olympics in Tokyo. Uh, it was probably the second most bizarre 
Olympics besides for that one, you know, where that one is just a, a horrific parade of white supremacy, German uh, nationalism and supremacy, and uh, just really putting that on display for the whole world to be horrified by if they had any lick of sense and understanding in terms of what was going on. And then watching the Germans feel this weird sense of manifest destiny towards their under what was what they understood to be genetic superiority over everyone. And, you know, watching that be, I guess, fulfilled when they watched white people win, uh, especially blonde white people win, win in certain competitions. And then to be obviously very confused when they watched, you know, non-white people uh, win uh, in the competitions. And so, you know, the, that whole unbelievable kind of scene, I've never seen this sort of documentary about it, but I'm sure there's something out there about just how completely bizarre and horrific of an experience those Olympics were. These Olympics are completely bizarre as well, but in a totally different way. You know, you, from what I understand, and I'm no, I'm no expert in the field, but from the news that I've gathered, this is not exactly a thing that the actual people of Japan would like to see happening. They're wondering why their government is allowing this to happen in the first place. You know, I mean, obviously they were scheduled for last year and it's a total bummer that it's, uh, it, it had to be delayed for a year in the way that it has been and that it's happening in the way that it's happening. You know, I don't know why it couldn't have been postponed even longer to sort of make it happen in the right way. But for this Olympics, there's no spectators allowed. So everyone's basically performing and competing in these empty stadiums and arenas. And, you know, uh, all these players are coming off of this really bizarre and athletes are coming off of this really bizarre year where their whole training schedule is thrown off. And then, you know, then they decide to put the Olympics on. Now they're training up again and, you know, to go from heartbreak to excitement to this weird middle thing, you know, players getting diagnosed with COVID coming from different countries with different availability of different vaccines with different levels of efficacy, each vaccine, you know, players, uh, athletes, uh, um, you know, and then to have this all be happening during a time of, you know, uh, uh, um, the Delta variant, which is the variant that happens to be happening right now. I expect there to be other ones, but this one's pretty scary because it doesn't seem to care about the vaccine, except that it's not as serious of a health risk if you've had the vaccine. But if you haven't had the vaccine, then it is a very serious health risk. And, you know, it, it, it's just sort of, uh, um, you know, sending us back backwards in terms of, you know, sending us back into this pandemic that is uh, having such a big impact in the world in this way. And so it's, it's, um, it's a really strange Olympics. And I have not been watching any of it. You know, usually I'll, I'll at least watch swimming because like, I love swimming. I'm a swimmer and you, you kind of follow some of it, but, but really it's just so depressing and weird and scary in a way that there's nothing enjoyable to me about the thought of putting it on TV and, and watching these amazing athletes compete, you know, but there have been some very interesting things that have been happening this Olympics that I have been following without actually following the sports themselves. And that's a handful of these kind of fascinating news stories. You know, you, you have um, different sorts of obviously country politics being exposed as they always are, you know, um, really interesting kind of sports sub stories and things like that. Um, you know, certain American sports and I'm into American sports, but certain American sports have gotten a lot more international in recent years than they have been ever before, especially in the world of basketball, for example. You know, a lot of the star athletes of the NBA are from different countries. And so it's not just a walk in the park for the U.S., you know, the U.S. team to 
you know, get through the Olympics because they're playing against NBA players, play for other teams, you know, and countries you wouldn't necessarily expect. Like one of the best players in the NBA is like, you know, plays for Slovenia. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like one of those deals where, you know, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's fascinating to kind of like follow those aspects of the stories. But, you know, for me, probably the most interesting one is the Simone Biles story, you know, this uh, amazing gymnast who is sort of no question about it, the greatest gymnast of all time, you know, um, definitely the greatest, you know, female gymnast of all time, um, probably the greatest gymnast of all time, sort of period, end of story, greatest gymnast of all time. And she only ever won everything she's ever competed in, uh, including the, the last Olympics where, you know, she's pulling off moves that have never been seen before that, you know, that she's, that are like named for her now because they've never been seen before, you know, three flips in the air with a twist, uh, you know, and landing perfectly. It's just like un unbelievable in terms of what she was able to achieve. And then this Olympics, for a whole host of different reasons, she got what I've come to learn and many of us who are following this story have come to learn is the, the quote-unquote twisties. The twisties. It's this thing that gymnasts go through where they lose their bearings in the air. You know, where whereas when they're going and going well, it's quite easy for them to know where their body is in the maneuver, where they're able to count flips and know when to extend their body, know when to do different things with their hands and feet and head in order to manipulate the, the move in the way that they do, right? But when you get to the twisties, you, you lose your way in the air and, and you, you are suddenly unable to do it. And there's a lot of different reasons for you to get it. But in her case, it's anxiety, and she's come out about it and talked about her experience with anxiety and very graciously, and in my opinion, very bravely stepped aside as the Olympics were beginning after the first kind of round of competition because she wasn't able to perform in a high level and she was hurting her team's ability to succeed and to win. And... In doing so, obviously, as you can imagine, has kicked off, you know, a pretty incredible nationwide and probably even worldwide debate about the legitimacy of pulling out for that sort of reason, you know. So look at, I mean, first things first, this is a mental health podcast. So you can imagine that there's... I'm obviously going to skew a certain way in this issue. You know, I'm definitely going to, going to skew towards being understanding and being on Simone Biles' side in terms of, you know, her decision and, and not just that, but applauding her and being grateful that she was willing to be so public and is willing to be so public about her personal struggles. You know, it's a, that's an incredibly powerful tool towards not, having mental health continue on as a stigma, you know, that she's able to say, yeah, I'm, I am the goat and I have anxiety and for good fucking reason she has anxiety. I mean, look at, I, I have never dove headfirst into her story. Um, I just haven't. And, but what I know is, is that there is a certain amount of actually a, a significant amount of pain in her story. In that, and it doesn't take much to sort of find this out. But look, there was there was a, a horrible, awful human being who was associated with U.S. gymnastics, and he was a trainer uh, for like the medical staff, and he sexually abused, molested, and raped scores of our gymnastic heroes, like like this human being is up there. His name is Larry Nasser, and he's up there as one of the worst human beings to ever live. Um, he was 
caught and uh, tried and imprisoned. And uh, it came out that, you know, because Simone Biles decided to share it, that she is among his victims. Now, let me just take a moment to, like, think about that for a minute. You know, just, like, let's do the equation. Gymnastics is one of those weird sports where you're really much better at it the younger you are. Like, 14, 15, 16 years old is the age where you really peak in your ability in gymnastics. Um, I think probably a lot of that has to do with flexibility. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with kind of the mindset of a young person. You know, when you, when you've lived enough, there's a lot more room for worry and anxiety. You're not able to kind of fling it's, it's against your nature to fling your body (laughs) in any direction once you hit a certain age. And if you're a reasonable human being, it's just against your nature to do that because you know better than to hurl your body in the air and do three flips and a twist at the end. You just know better, you know? So there's something about being young that makes it so that it's the youngest people that do best in the Olympics. And so, you know, our, our gymnastic heroes, uh, especially on in the side of female, you know, women's gymnastics are like 14, 15, 16 years old at the time of the thing that they did that made them a hero. And it's sort of like unbelievable to think about that. Right. But then when you really look in and the kind of the microscope it, you know, what it means, like, what does it take for a person to get to that level, right? What does it take for like Mary Lou Retton to get to that level, to your Simone Biles to get to that level, to anyone who makes it to the Olympics? And when it comes to gymnastics, what it takes is this is, this is what you do all day, every day is gymnastics, if you're going to school, it's on the side, you know, it's, it's, you're squeezing it in because of the rest of the time you're doing gymnastics. You're literally dedicating every single moment. You know, do you think Simone Biles had a normal, healthy relationship with someone, a romantic relationship with someone as a teenager? You know, do you, do you think for a moment that there was time for her to do that? You, you know, no. Was Simone Biles, you know, navigating um, the school hallway? You know, what I mean, was was she um, doing any of those things that we associate with kind of a normal teenage childhood? And the answer is no. You know, she was spending every single moment, you know, as a part of this quote unquote family of gym of gymnasts and trainers and coaches. And dedicating every ounce of her young life to being the greatest of all time is what she was doing. And, and, and doing that for us, you know, doing that for America, like representing this country, right? Doing that for USA Gymnastics. And what they did was they didn't protect her. You know, it, it, it obviously is that Larry Nasser, you know, was the, was and is the monster that he was and did the things that he did. And obviously that is um, horrific and the main cause of all the pain. But like USA Gymnastics has a lot of culpability in this situation because not only, you know, did they allow for there to be that kind of space where a person like that could be with the gymnast alone and um, be trusted in that way where, you know, that kind of thing could happen. But also when, when kids came forward and complained about it, you know, they, and they did like what the Catholic church did. They protected him. They denied it. They hid it. You know, they, they, um, they didn't, you know, do what they were supposed to do, which was protect the, you know, the fucking children who were in their responsibility. So despite that, you know, while living through that, she goes and becomes the greatest of all time, you know, wins us a ton of gold, you know, and then dedicates every moment of her life to get back to another Olympics to perform at that same level again. And by the way, up until the point where it was sort of just before the Olympics, the very last, you know, competition, she was totally performing at the level, won the competition and everything, you know, 
But between then and the Olympics, it just, it just got to be too much. Her brain said, no, you know, we're, we're not doing this anymore. So she made the choice that she made. I, I totally understand it. And I don't think there was anything cowardly about it. And I've heard people take that approach. You know, I, I heard this guy the other day talking about, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't care what what anyone says, you know, a quitter is a quitter is a quitter. Basically was the was the way that he, he talked about it. You know, a quitter is a quitter is a quitter. And she was a quitter and, and you you know, the greatest, if you're the goat, if you're the goat, you never quit. I don't care what the adverse adversity is. And it's like uh, you know, really? <laughs> that's how we're that's how we're gonna talk about this. You know, I, I just don't know that it's like possible to change a person's mind about it, you know. It's like, you know, call me old school, you know, whatever, but I'm not from the age where like everybody gets a trophy. You know, I'm not from that age where everybody gets a trophy. I, I don't know. Are we in the age where everybody gets a trophy? I, you know, I mean, I've got kids. It seems like things are still pretty competitive for them, too. You know, I, I still think he, I still think you're earning your trophies even today. So, but, you know, everybody gets a trophy. I'm not like that. You know, you've got to earn your stripes with me. I raise my kids to be tough and resilient like that. And it's like, well, you know what? Good for you. Good for you. I, I, I don't think you and your kids are quite... Olympic athletes, but good for you. You know, I'm glad that you, uh, you have that, that old fashioned attitude and, and mindset. I, I think it's also incredibly stupid. <laughs> I don't, and I, you know, it makes no sense to try to confront them because I don't think it's possible to change them, but I did try like an angle of like thinking of funny examples of when his heroes might have quit. You know, so I was like, uh, you know, Michael Jordan quit. And <laughs> it's like, what? Michael Jordan never quit. I was like, he stopped playing basketball for two years. And he did. He stopped playing basketball and played baseball for two years. And and they were, and he was like, no, he didn't quit. And, you know, he, he played baseball because his father died. And uh, he <laughs> and his father loved baseball and always wanted him to be a baseball player. And it's like, really, really, you, you are in your prime recognized to be the greatest basketball, basketball player of all time, of all time. You just won the championship and now is the time to go and try to play baseball. You know, that's what, that's what's going on there. Um, and you know, the other piece is that there's some, there's some conspiracies there's some conspiracies out there about the great Michael Jordan <laughs> in relation to his uh, his his uh, his life choices that not everyone likes to talk about all the time, and uh, certainly wasn't talked about in the multi-part documentary that was produced by him. <laughs> but uh, our man Michael was is, was and is quite the gambler, my guys, quite quite the gambler. And uh, was known quite well for making trips to Vegas and Atlantic City, you know, the night before a game, coming home at five in the morning, basically plopping into bed, sleeping the day away and showing up to work that evening to play some basketball and then doing it again the night, you know, the next night. You know, this is this is the behavior of uh, a gambling addict. It's 100% the behavior of a gambling addict. And it doesn't take much of a Sherlock Holmesian kind of sleuthing to put two and two together and say, there might have been some debt. And uh, the conspiracy theory that no one will ever share is that there might have been quite a bit of debt with the wrong people. And that that might have had something to do with his father's murder. And that that might have had something to do with him actually pulling away from basketball. That there was an agreement between him and the commissioner of basketball at the time, David Stern, that instead of just going ahead and, you know, having to 
you know, suspend the greatest basketball player of all time for gambling and for running into the wrong people that Michael would step away and not play basketball for a couple of years. And uh, so that's what happened. So the conspiracy theory is out there. I don't normally fall, fall for conspiracy theories, but it's not hard for me to believe that. Oh, by the way, the flu game, there's no way that was the flu game. <laughs> oh, man, it's a good thing no one listen to this podcast. Because if they did, I'd be like front page of the news right now because I'm saying shit in this podcast that no one in the sports world ever says. But there's this famous game that Michael Jordan played where uh, he had the flu. Uh, they say he was clearly very sick. You know, he just he looked awful. He looked like he was about to pass out for the entire game. When the game ended, he basically fell to the floor. Scotty Pippen picked him up, carried him off the floor. I think it was a finals game, and uh, it's called the flu game. And uh, it's called the flu game because they said Michael had the flu. And so that's why he was going back and forth. He was throwing up and coming back and, you know, then playing and going back and throwing up and having to get, like, electrolytes and, and uh, IVs and all this shit. <laughs> it's like how people talk about that game. And meanwhile, we know about the guy that he's like gambling, you know, uh, every night in fucking Las Vegas. He's he's a serious, a serious gambling problem. Um, there's a lot of alcohol involved. There's a lot of a lot of shit involved with that kind of lifestyle. And uh, he he looked he looked hungover. He <laughs> he looked hungover. If you've had the flu, in, influenza, influenza. If you've got the flu, that means that your lungs are filled with liquid. <laughs> He's not playing. You're no one's playing basketball with the flu, you fucking idiots. Oh my god. Let alone another game a couple of days later and be perfectly fine. If you have the flu, that's that's a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks of your life with the flu. Especially then, the nineteen eighties, you didn't have the kind of shit that we have now to help you with the flu. You had the flu. If you had the flu, then you had the flu. And he was fine for the next game. So what that should be called is the hangover game. Because it was definitely a hangover. <laughs> definitely not the flu. But uh, any, anyway, so yeah, I brought up these points about Michael Jordan. He wasn't hearing it. So then I was like, well, what about, uh, what about LeBron? Yeah, LeBron. 2011, uh, he was in the finals, right? It, it was playing for the Cavs the first time around, I think. And... Uh, Lo and behold, he finds out that one of his teammates is sleeping with his mother. Sleeping with his mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opens the door. There's the teammate. There's his mother. Both are in a towel. That shit is a, that, that's not a very pleasant thing to come across, you guys. That's not, that's not something you want to see. So he kind of shut it down the rest of the series. It was really bizarre. He, people say that he choked that series. Kind of shut it down. Honestly, it, yeah, I would shut it down too. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, and it's like you know you bring it up and it's like wouldn't you quit in that scenario <laughs> you walk in on your teammate sleeping with your mother and you know it wasn't starting then you know it's been going on for a minute you know wouldn't you wouldn't i mean wouldn't you shut it down <laughs> so i kind of i get a kick out of like trying to approach arguments like that with uh with people like that, because there's no way to listening to reason. It's it's more fun for me to like try to find the other angle, you know. But look, the bottom line is, and I've said it before on this podcast, if she fucking broke her leg, nobody would expect her. If she like did a triple flip with a twist, came down, and her femur cracked in front of our eyes, nobody would expect her to compete the next day. Nobody would. Because her fucking femur cracked. So why is it so hard for people to understand that the brain can crack too. Like, why is that so hard? It's a, it's a, it's an organ in your body. I've said it a million times on this podcast. That's what it is. It's an organ in your body. And the way that you know that it's off balance is because your fucking thoughts are off balance and you can't control it in the same way that you can't just like magically fix your femur when it breaks. Right? Like bottom line, that's what it comes down to is that, you know, her brain broke. And there's nothing wrong with that. I guarantee you it's going to happen to you if it hasn't already. I can pretty much guarantee you that it's happened already for sure. You never had a temper tantrum? 
Like, what are you thinking in that moment? Just stop. Why don't you just stop having a tantrum while you're having a tantrum? You know, have someone come up to you and say, why don't you just stop? And then, and then have them stand there as you proceed to punch them right in the face. Because you're having a temper tantrum. You wouldn't punch someone in the face when you're not having a temper tantrum. Right? And then what happens? You have it. You punch the person in the face. And it's like, uh, well, sorry, I was like having a tantrum. And that like explains it. But for some reason, like Simone Biles doesn't even have a temper tantrum. She gets the twisties. So like she loses her place while flipping three times in the air with a twist at the end. Like that's, you know, that's hard to imagine happening. Right. Her anxiety that made it so that she needed to step aside was such that she was still able to be there for her teammates, cheer them on and be a positive presence and be supportive and a strong leader. Her anxiety was strong enough to take her out of the Olympics, but not so strong that she couldn't be there for her teammates to help her teammates. That's all it took for her to get the twisties, you guys. That's it. You know, I, I know people who have anxiety where if they had an anxiety attack in that scenario, that would be it. You wouldn't see them again on TV or anywhere. That would be it. You know? But no, she's she's been there for her teammates every step of the way, supportive, doing everything that she can to be the leader in person that she is. But the biggest thing that she did was she told everybody why. She said, it's just too much for me. You know, the anxiety is too much for her. The pressure is too much for her in that moment. And she stepped aside. You know, I feel like, well, you know, it's, I don't think everyone understands how dangerous, you know, gymnastics is. You get the twisties. You definitely don't want to put yourself in that scenario where, you know, you're flipping through the air and you don't know where you are anymore. You could re- you could get seriously injured if not killed in that place. And so, yeah, she the right decision for herself health-wise. Okay, yeah, kudos to, to that argument. Definitely agree with that argument, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree with that argument, you know. But, I mean, like, I, I think it also, I think it's not a bad thing to maybe celebrate what she's doing here, too. You know, she's like doing for anxiety and for mental health what Magic Johnson did for AIDS back in the 80s. You know, you're normalizing it. You're saying like, this could happen to me. And I could totally just allow myself to fall victim of it. But the truth is, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. Like, I'm here to show you that, you know, these decisions are mine to be made. And I know that I'm not in the right place to be able to compete and to be the best teammate for my teammates. My God. It's amazing that she did that. And I'm really thankful that she did that. So, you know, thankful enough to sit down and record a podcast. (laughs) When I just haven't been recording podcasts recently. Not that anyone's going to listen to this, but I like the idea of putting it up on Spotify, etc. So that, you know, there's another message just out there in the ether, you know, supporting, supporting her and the decisions that she's made. You know, as a person with diagnosed anxiety, mild as it is, certainly, but still there, connected to my depression, man, those two are like boyfriend and girlfriend, anxiety and depression. They are dating for sure. You know, one usually goes in hand with the other. But, uh, you know, so I, 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 I know what it's like to have it. And there are times when I can power through it and do the thing that I'm nervous to do and fight my way through it. And there are times when I just have to give into it and I have to stop and I have to not do the thing that I'm trying to do. I have to just listen to it. And 
understanding when to make the choice to do it is something that, you know, it's an art form. You you never know when it's right. But you have to, I think for me at least, try to just have faith that in each individual moment, I'm just trying my best to make the right choice about how to confront the thing I'm having to confront, you know. But to consistently tell myself that, you know, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do is so key and central to what it's like to find your way towards health and safety, you know? And in this case with Simone Biles, when you think about the sense of being out of control in the way that you feel when encountered by someone who's there to harm you, you know, sexual predators and the like, just knowing how out of control you are, you know, and then all the pressure that's put on someone like her to fulfill this destiny that people keep telling her that is hers to grasp. And then she goes and does it. And then in the swan song moment, when it's too much for her, still has the bravery to say it's too much for me. And then to pull back from it. I mean, if that's not the definition of like the kind of hero that I want there to be in the world, you know, I, I just, I just don't know what is. So yeah, that's this episode. Hope, uh, hope everyone's doing all right. <laughs> uh, there's obviously a lot more going on, you know, still in COVID and all that jazz, but, uh, yeah, if I record another episode at some point, I'll, I guess we'll talk more about that stuff, but that's it for today. Hope everyone's good. Uh, as always, uh, you know, like and review. Uh, um, please follow us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, take care of yourself.